Welcome to Planet Positivity, Episode 11. In the midst of the pandemic, it is March, I think it's March 19th, the year 2020. And it's turning out to be quite a wild and crazy year. And it's uh, we're only about 25% through the year. We're not out of it yet, and we're definitely not out of the peak and the, the hard part. I know when I've done uh, ayahuasca ceremonies and you're, uh, you take this medicine by a shaman, you go into like this, this spirit realm, this like you see weird things and stuff. There's like this peak, and it increases intense, in, 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 in intensity to a peak. And then once you hit that peak, then it gets easier. And that's what I always think about when I think about what's going on right now. We have to hit that peak. You know, it gets harder before it gets easier and it'll come to a climax, to a, a boiling point before uh, things will begin to settle down. Right now, everything's being prepared for that peak, for that rush of... Uh, rush into the healthcare system for that overwhelming rush of emergency care that needs to happen. And what just happened uh, about an hour ago is uh, I'm in California, uh, United States, and our governor, Gavin Newsom, just issued a mandate issuing, uh, ordering the whole state of California to essentially stay at home. They call it shelter in place. And um, I don't know that this has never happened in my lifetime. I don't know that um, it's ever happened before. Um, so California has about 40 million residents or just under. It's one of the biggest economies in the world. If you just take California by itself, it'd be the, the fifth biggest economy in the world last time I checked in between, uh, I want to say Germany and the UK. So California is really, really big. Uh, Three, four, yeah, it's five right in between Germany and UK with, uh, and the US is number one at 20.5 trillion. California's got 20.94 trillion uh, GDP in US dollars. This was uh, t- last time I checked, 2018. And the population rank of California is 37th. So it's interesting. We have just under 40 million. The United States alone has about 300, just under 327 million. China is China's the number one population. It's 1.4 billion people. And so U.S., China, Japan, Germany, California, U.K., France, India, Italy, Brazil, Texas, oh, Texas up there, Canada, New York, South Korea, and Russia are the 15 biggest economies of the world. So yeah, Gavin Newsom just issued um, a statement for the entire population state of California to stay indoors, uh, to stay home to help prevent the spread of the coronavirus. And this is the first statewide mandatory restriction issued in the United States. Um, under the order, like only essential services like gas stations, pharmacies, grocery stores, farmers markets, food banks, convenience stores, delivery restaurants will remain open. Banks, local government offices that provide programs and services and law enforcement agencies will remain open as well. But non-essential services like dining, restaurants, bars, gyms, and convention centers will shut down. Um, That's because uh, the research and the data that he got estimates that 56% 
of California's nearly 40 million people could get infected within two months. So that's about 25 and a half million people will be infected with the virus over an eight-week period. And so this is pretty substantial. I mean, it's less substantial than the 3.5% number that I had on the other podcast mortality rate, but it, we're looking at about 1.5% mortality rate for California and the U.S. in general. <clears throat> I know Italy's got hit the hardest with, right now, it looks to be about 12%. So Italy is number two right behind China with the most um, cases, more biggest mortality. They have 3,405 deaths right now and 41,035 infected, which is about, I think it's about 12%. It's really high, but there's a reason for that. Um, there's an article of why the coronavirus hit Italy so hard. One of the reasons is they have a huge um, elderly population, a, a big elderly population, and their demographics is, is different than uh, many other other places about 23% of the population is over the age of 65 where as in the US that population is 16% so that you know that virus hits the elderly much more uh, you know much harder and at the same time to the younger Italians they interact a lot more with the the older Italians the elders and so that uh, tends to spread especially if the virus was uh, um, no uh, asymptomatic, I think, thinks the term for it, no symptomless, you know, for, for a little while. And then, you know, before it, you know, has symptoms. So you could spread it when you're, I believe you could spread it when you're uh, asymptomatic or symptomless. I don't know. I don't know the correct term for it. I'm not a doctor or, uh, or anything like that or a nurse or anything, but it's still, um, it's still, it's still a, a big concern and the the media definitely is is um tends to turn it into a big a bit of fear mongering in a sense uh, because if you look and just watch the tv you get this sense of anxiety and like even i was out in the out in the store the other day and people were, you could just feel feel the nervousness in the air like people were scared and nervous and were anxious but like if you go outside, it's there's really I, I don't see any difference. But I'm I'm in like the San Bernardino County area, more uh, not in downtown LA, where the grocery stores uh, still have a little bit of food on the shelves. I guess you know people made a big run on toilet paper and, and water, and there still are it's still out of stock. I don't know. Um, it's, it's, there's some funny memes online if you, if you see about all the toilet paper. I think the world's kind of making fun of us right now for that, but. Oh, so it's interesting too, when you look at the uh, the statistics of the coronavirus. So China's number one. Um, apparently, this was like the first day you know that they had no new cases. So China's doing really well, and it took them took them I think a couple months. So that it looks like you know on a positive note that we should be out of it within a couple months. So things you know could get back together in maybe two or three maybe three months. Uh, the guy on Joe Rogan podcast estimated two to six months, so he was he was pretty close. So China's was number one; they had eighty, just under eighty one thousand cases, 
And Italy's number two with 41,000 cases, which is almost half, but they're still increasing that number. Iran's number three, which is fascinating. Iran? Who would have thought Iran would get it? 18,400 cases. Spain was number four, 18,000 cases. Germany, number five, 15,300 cases. USA, number six, 14,300 cases. And that number is probably much greater because of um, our lack of testing, which was a big fail on the U.S. government and the U.S. healthcare and the medical system. That definitely needs to improve after this. This is kind of like a test run in a sense. Um, We improved, or if you want to call it an improvement, from 8th to 6th. And number 7 now is France, uh, with just under 11,000. South Korea, 8,500 about. Switzerland, Switzerland, interestingly, a little over 4,000. UK, a little over 3,000. And so on and so on. So it looks to be uh, right around 140-something countries. Oh, no, it actually says the coronavirus is, is affecting 180 countries. And that's that's pretty much the world. Uh, it's, it's pretty much everywhere. But the other places, they, they have 100, 250. Um, Nepal has one. Bhutan has one. Which is interesting. You would think like very heavily populated countries like India, um, like, I don't know, like other countries, like Mexico City or something, you know, which was heavily populated, would have much a much greater, but it, they don't. So it's really just hitting China, Italy, you know, Spain, Germany, U.S., France. But that could also be like the testing too. Who knows, you know, once once everything's said and done. But so far we're at 245,660 coronavirus cases. Let me refresh that. And 245,670 cases with 10,049 deaths. So that puts it about 2.5% mortality, which is a great improvement from the 35 3.6% during the initial stages uh, of you know, last time I did this about almost a week ago. So that's definitely an improvement. And you see numbers down closer to 1%, which is which is very, very good. And personally, I'm not worried about it because I'm not in that I'm not in that uh, higher age group where it's um, definitely more dangerous. But it's fascinating that um, there was reports, I think it was UK or France, where they estimated 40 to 70% of the world would get it. And now Gavin Newsom says about 56% will get it. It was interesting to see if, if that number turns out. But, you know, if 56% of the California of the 40 million get it, get it, I was running the numbers and I hope I did those numbers wrong, but I did what is 1.5% of 40 million. That's 600,000 people, 600,000 deaths in California alone if 56% get it and the mortality rate is 1.5%. It's definitely an improvement from 3, 3.5%, which would have been 1.2 million for 3%, but we're looking at 600,000. Let me check... Uh, the United States, 330 million would be, whoa, 1.5% of 330 million. This is the entire United States. If 50, you know, if the, oh, wait a minute. Did I do that? No, I did that wrong. So 25.5 million. And that 
that's 382,000. Okay, that makes more sense. So I did that last math wrong. Sorry, pardon me. Um, so 1.5%. So 40 million, 56% is 25.5 million. 1.5% of those for the mortality rate is 382,500. Still substantial and still going to be devastating. 382,500 people, if that's 1%. It could be a little lower, maybe closer to 1%, but still, that's two to 400,000 deaths. It's it's crazy. And then let's, um, what's about 50% of 330? So let's go 165 million and find 1.5% of that. That would give us about 50% infection rate. That's about 2.5 million people we're looking at if half the United States population gets it. That's crazy. I, I don't know anything. That is that is like, you can't even compare that to the flu. It's like the flu on steroids. It's like, ah, uh, oh gosh, it's, it's going to be devastating and heartbreaking for a lot of people. Although, like, it's going to be mostly the older population, people already with uh, immune compromised, um, you know, bodies, immune, immunocompromised. So that's uh, the people that are sick are really at a great risk right now. And the people working in healthcare are definitely at sick. There was rumors that you could reinfect yourself, but that doesn't look to be that popular. What's fascinating, though, is when you look into coronavirus and the story from China, like, there's some weird, almost like conspiracy things, you know, about it. If you go and like research it online, I guess research, you Google it online. But one of those fascinating things that, that I was looking into is the coronavirus may have been leaked from a lab in Wuhan, China. And so I remember the Chinese, uh, one of the Chinese leaders or president said, oh gosh, let me, let me find that article. It said it was a Chinese leader claimed the u.s made the coronavirus or not made it but brought the okay here it is a chinese diplomat promotes a conspiracy theory that the united states military could have brought the novel coronavirus to china it did not originate in the city of wuhan as thought but which, which is fascinating, but there's an article that says, uh, this is from the New York Post back in late February, and there was an emergency meeting in Beijing uh, by the Chinese leader, Xi Jinping. He spoke, spoke about the need to contain the virus and set up a system pre to prevent similar epidemics in the future. And she didn't actually admit that the coronavirus now devastating a large area of China escaped from one of the country's bioresearch labs, but the very next day, evidence emerged suggesting that this is exactly what happened. As the Chinese Ministry of Science and Technology released a new directive titled Instructions on Strengthening Biosecurity Management in Microbiology Labs that handle advanced viruses like the novel coronavirus. And that's very, very interesting. <laughs> It's like, just how many microbiology labs are there in China that handle advanced viruses like the novel coronavirus? Um, it turns out in all of China, there's only one. And that one is located in the city of Wuhan, which just happens to be the epicenter where the epidemic started. China's only level four microbiology lab that is equipped to handle deadly coronaviruses called the National Biosafety Laboratory is part of the Wuhan Institute of Vi Virology. 
And that is fascinating. According to the PLA Daily, Chen, who was uh, the major general of the People's Liberation Army's top expert in bio, uh, biological warfare, has been researching coronaviruses since the SARS outbreak in 2003, as well as Ebola and anthrax. And um, he was... Uh, she was dispatched to Wuhan at the end of January to help with the effort to contain the outbreak and is one of only two bioweapons research labs in all of China. And then it says, does it suggest that the, the coronavirus, now known as SARS-CoV-2, may have escaped from the very lab that, and that Chen's job is to try to put the genie back in the bottle? Uh, quite possibly. According to this part, article, they definitely say yes. <clears throat> and... Uh, China's had a history of similar incidents, too, which makes this even more uh, believable in a sense, too. Even the deadly SARS virus has escaped twice from the Beijing lab where it was being used in experiments. Both man-made epidemics were quickly contained, but ne neither would have happened uh, at all if proper safety precautions have been taken. And there's a little known fact. Some Chinese researchers are in the habit of selling their laboratory animals to street vendors after they finish experimenting on them instead of disposing of them uh, properly through cremation. As the law requires, they sell them on the side to make a little extra cash or sometimes a lot of extra cash. One Beijing researcher is now in jail, made millions selling his monkeys and rats on the live animal market, and they eventually wound up in someone's stomach. Hey, could be uh, someone sold some infected bats to people, they ate them, and boom, there you go. You have um, you have the coronavirus. And so uh, the the first uh, they first blamed a seafood market not far from the Institute of Viro Virology, even though the first documented cases of the COVID nineteen involved people who had never set foot there. Then they pointed to steaks, bats, and even this little anteater called a pangolin as a source of the virus. One one thing I read is that bats have been we've been eating bats for I don't know many many hundreds maybe thousands of years so why why would we get that virus now all of a sudden too, and this guy says that you know snakes don't carry coronavirus and that bats aren't sold at a seafood market, neither for that matter are the pangolins, but definitely very very strange, and um, sad at the same time that that this happened. It, it seems to be that it may have been an accident or, or something. Like, I don't think they'd purposely do it. It seems to be more of an accident than anything. Like, if you're in bio-warfare, you don't, I don't think you'd want to kill your own people. But that's definitely a, kind of on the conspiracy theory type of, uh, type of news there. And, yeah, so where do we stand from there? Well, next thing I want to talk about is, so what do we do? So we're stuck. How, uh, oh, oh, the, oh, this is what I want to talk about. How the stress of disaster brings people together. So this crisis, this tragedy was needed to bring the world, to bring us all together. This is one of the few things that brings people together and this is one of the huge benefits and that, that we're going to see great benefits from this because of this and um 
there's, there's great articles in here, and it talks about one reason why stress may lead to cooperative behaviors, our profound need for a social connection. Human beings are fundamentally social animals, and it is the protective nature of our social relationships that has allowed our species to thrive. Decades of research shows that social connection is a fundamental human need linked to both psychological and physical health, including a strong immune system, faster recovery from disease, and even longevity. And that's a great article in itself. Um, lack, there's tons of studies that show like lack of social connections, a greater de detriment to health than obesity, smoking, high blood pressure. On the flip side, strong social connection leads to a 50% increased chance of longevity. Social connection strengthens the immune system, um, helps with uh, reducing inflammation, helps recover from disease faster, and quite possibly may even lengthen our lifespan. Uh, you also have lower rates of anxiety, depression, all that sort of stuff. That's why like people that go to um, solitary confinement have all these psychological issues and definitely, um, definitely uh, highly uh, important to have strong social bonds and cooperative behavior. Uh, it may social connection may be particularly important under stress because stress naturally leads to a sense of vulnerability and a loss of control. There's a huge um, sense of control, especially you could see it in people who are always like telling you what to do. Like if you have friends, family, loved ones that that are always, you could tell the people that have this control, and I think they're gonna have a hard time. A, challenging time dealing with something like this there's a study um that talk uh, uh by benjamin converse at the university of virginia found that feeling out of control through a reminder of one's mortality leads to greater generosity and helpfulness while uh other research showed that the opposite is true that when we are primed the feelings of self-determination and, and control we're primed with feelings of self-determination control think back to how many felt out of control like now for example um Chances are you're feeling vulnerable and feelings of lack of control may have made you seek out the comfort of others in some way. Even like calling someone, talking to someone, visiting someone. And there's an expert in the field of social connection, uh, Professor Breen Brown, explains that vulnerability is a core ingredient of social bonding. War, in times of war, it's one of the greatest stresses anyone can ever encounter. It also leads to deep human friendships and incredible acts of heroism and sacrifice for one, for one another. And um, there was research done with returning veterans, and they, they um, talk about tight bonds that occur between service members on the battlefield, one of the most stressful situations that exists. And, you know, my personal experience being in the Egyptian jail with the French uh, Frenchman um, that I talk about in the previous podcast, and I felt a really deep in, uh, connection with him as well, sharing the 8x10 cell with him for, you know, a, a week, a week or so, whatever, whatever it was. And that was... Uh, I definitely, uh, we definitely connected it and, you know, it was a hard experience. It was one of the most challenging, difficult experiences I've ever, I've ever had to deal with, but it was one of the best experiences and I'm glad I did it and I do it all over again as well. I'm, uh, I talked about, uh, my running coach, Nate, we talked about, um, where, uh, I think him and me were kind of bred for hardship and discomfort and I, we look at it, look at it more as a challenge and just something to overcome and build character and build resilience and you know that's what i looked at it look at this as a challenge this is a challenge right now and you know it's not it's not that bad it's not 
you know, it's difficult, but it's not like, it's not the plague. It's not going to kill half the population. I think we really lucked out in that sense, in that regards, that it's not as deadly as the, the at first, three and a half percent is not as deadly as, what was the plague, like 80%, 50%, something crazy where it killed like hundreds of millions of people or something, something crazy. But we're, we kind of lucked out in that sense. And um, back to the the experiences, they uh, they cause profound human bonding. Despite, like in the war, the acute anguishes of war makes some veterans long to return to war. And if stress leads to bonding, why then do sometimes uh, we sometimes experience stress as making us cranky? That may, may uh, the cause may be explained by a difference between acute and chronic stress. Uh, acute stress prepares the body for resistance. Um, but the chronic stress slowly beats us down. It may be that acute stress, a one-time stressful experience, may lead to social bonding, as shown in one of the studies, but the chronic repeated exposure to stress over a long period might wear us out. But more research is definitely needed to, to look at that, uh, examine the impact of chronic stress on social behavior. But acute stress may help remind us of a fundamental truth, our common humanity, understanding our shared vulnerability. Life makes no promises, may be frightening, but it can inspire kindness, connection, and desire to stand together and support each other. Acute stress, as unpleasant as it may be, may also be an opportunity to experience the most beautiful aspects of life, social connection and love. Yeah. There you go. Think of the pandemic as an opportunity to experience the most beautiful aspects of life. Social connection and love. Yeah, it's pretty profound when you think about it that way, right? Yes, yeah, so that was a that was a great article on uh, how stress uh, the stress of disaster brings people together. And that was from the Scientific American back in 2012. There was another good article on how how um, crisis uh, brings us together, brings countries together. And it was a good article too. I want to say it was in the psychology, psychology Times or something. That was, um, let me check real fast. No, I can't find it. Yeah, I found it on my phone, but when I look at it on the computer, I think I have it open on my phone. Oh, here we go. Yeah, this one's good too. This is... Um, do we humans need tragedies to bring us together? And it seems that we strengthen empathy and communality during tragic events. This one's from 2017, so there's uh, that, the first one was 2012, so this one's even more interesting. And this kind of makes the point, Sal Levine, the MD, he makes the point that we humans need tragedies to bring us together. Every so often amidst the frequent incivility and conflict in society, we notice reductions in the angry noise emanating from the media and politics. For a while, at least, sounds of animosity diminish and people are, well, nicer to each other. Ironically, these temporary respites occur during times of major tragedies. And all these tragedies, you know, Hurricane Harvey, Hurricane Irma, Maria, have brought... Um, chaos, havoc, these earthquakes, wildfires, floodings, you know, humans left human suffering, no doubt. Um, and addition to natural catastrophes, we have experienced significant tragedies, uh, which were entirely planned and carried out by humans from mass shootings, assassinations, terrorist attacks, you know, that, that 
strike us to the core, but both natural and human engineered disasters, including the pandemic now, have been increasing through the world. Whether serendipitous or intended, these cataclysmic events are marked by shock, bewilderment, pain experienced by the victim and by millions of media watchers. And we witness the inflicted physical ravages and poignant human suffering, and we are riveted. We might wish to turn away from our screen, but we can't avert our gaze. And he goes on to point out we feel vulnerable and want to learn more to protect our loved ones from similar disasters. And repetitive viewing enables us to grasp the scope of the disasters and helps us cope. We show up our emotional defenses and we empathize with the victims and other viewers. Natural human pulses of empathy and commune communality are aroused and intensified people of different ethnic groups races ages and socioeconomic levels feel just as we do and we sense an implicit implicit kinship even as more spectators we feel almost as if there was the sharing of pain of those most intimately affected. We ask ourselves, you know, why is this happening? We try to make some sort of sense of it. We attach meaning to it. If indeed there isn't any to be revealed. And we can't help but notice extraordinary acts of kindness, extraordinary acts of caring, extraordinary acts of courage done by a variety of individuals and groups. Uh, we take for granted like the police, National Guard, doctors, military, emergency workers, critical service, protective rescue work, um, workers, and, you know, but these first responders go above and beyond the calls of duty and demonstrate, you know, bravery, tireless, you know, ennobling efforts to help those in need. And perhaps more inspiring are, you know, who are themselves victims who are shown remarkable sacrifice, you know, per, oh, sorry, perhaps more inspiring are the helpers who are themselves victims who show remarkable sacrifice while dedicating themselves to helping their neighbors and even more duress. And so uh, let's go on to during this tragedy, the social atmosphere is seemingly transformed for mere moments and times. Polemical politicians and pundits are muted. Disrespect and disparagement are reduced. Anger and conflict are diminished. I mean, you look at now the Democrats and Republicans are finally working together. Jeez, they've been going at it just oh, for years, ever since Trump was in office. So annoying. You turn on the TV, all you see is just... Trump bashing, the president bashing, and then Trump talking bad about uh, Nancy Pelosi. But it's just nonstop. Now, finally, they're kind of, they're starting to work together. And it's, you know, it's it's kind of, not, it's nice to see, finally. It's kind of, it was so annoying. Every time you turn on the, the news, that's all there was, just that all that negativity. And now, like, they're finally starting to work together. But although they are calling Trump a racist for calling the virus the Chinese virus, and, um, yeah, that's still they're still trying to hit him with the racist card. But anyways, at the risk of sounding naive from this article of Psychology Today, uh, he believes there's nothing more important for our survival than how we treat each other. Rather than anger, animosity, and armaments, we need kindness, caring, and communality. We need to put our impressive human brain power to work on the challenge of getting people to treat each other with respect and compassion like the international impetus to control our carbon footprint there needs to be an equivalent effort towards achieving a positive emotional footprint our goal should be to engender respect empathy and peace in a diminishing civility conflict and hostility we know that we're capable of achieving temporary Com comedy and peace are critical challenges and make an overriding goal for humanity without the need for tragic disasters. If we can accomplish this, we need to, we indeed do have a chance to enhance our lives and to survive as a species. 
So that one was was fairly interested as well. What 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 got me was when he said that we need tragedies to bring us together. So, so I thought that was uh, fairly interesting. Although not the best article, I'm I'm gonna say it. It kind of just didn't really specify, you know, like that that need part. But there's other articles online, like the benefits of tragedy. Although you know it's horrific, you know it's still there's still some benefits of how uh, how it could bring us together and definitely uh, power. Of, I was just looking at another article. Okay, that's it for now. I. I don't want to talk too long because I don't want to talk for like an hour. I could keep going. Oh, here's 12 simple ways to stay positive and happy. Hey, let's go for another hour now. I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, but here's here's 12 simple ways to stay positive and happy anyway. Here we go. So how to stay positive. Positive. Make an effort to find a positive side in everything. So right now, you can't go to work. Good. You know, what's uh, Jocko Willink said? You know, retired Navy SEAL. Anything you tell him, he goes, good. You know, you can't go to work. Good. Have more time to work on the house. Have more time to write your book. Have more time to exercise. Have more time to better yourself. Have more time to meditate. Have more time to journal. Have more time to do the things that you've wanted to do but never had time before. You have time now. Um, make an effort to find a positive side in everything. Always be grateful. That's definitely very, very important. Write three things you're grateful for every morning or think of them. Write down the same thing. Uh, three things you're grateful for every evening before you go to bed. And that's a great way to start off the day and end the day as well. It's what I did when I was in jail in Egypt. And it really makes a, a shift. You know, And a lot of these things were being based in the present moment too. When you're grateful, you're, you know, the positive emotions are mostly in the present. The negative emotions are mostly in the past or the future. So uh, number three, create a positive environment. You know, it's, it's vital to have positive people around you who will help you to stay positive and negative situation make sure you surround yourself with positive people um not you know um i guess you can't really go outside and visit your friends as much but but you could you could go still and do all that stuff but just make sure they don't you know they're they're safe to be around and i guess we get we got to have that social distancing now six feet but you know make sure you surround yourself with positive people and not negative people and negative people oh they're always worrying complaining bringing other people down you could just like spend more time with people through like listening to podcasts you know like you can watch movies. You can listen to good music. That's another way to create a positive environment. Next one is exercise more. This is huge, huge. Physical activity helps so much. It helps with almost everything. You know, it helps with good mood endorphins. It helps fight depression. It helps with anxiety. It helps both has physical, mental, emotional benefits. Keeps you in better shape. Boosts your self-esteem. You name it, it helps. Treasure your experience more than your possessions. This is this one thing I was really big on and, and fond of. And, you know, um, there was a study that, that shows that it is healthy for a brain to treasure memorable and pleasant experience rather than the material things. Comparing possessions and look at better... Um, objects after a purchase can be demoralizing and ruin the initial pleasure. But treasure and experience does not affect the initial pleasure. Rather, by, they provide long-lasting happiness. And that, well, well, in that regard, look at old um, positive photos and memories and, 
you know, you could even create like a, f- a flip book or a, um, what's that book where you have um, old memories, like like a photography book, a scrapbook. You can make like a scrapbook. This we got all the time in the world right now, most of us anyway. Uh, next one, help others. This is big. I love this one. And uh, this has been a big part of my life, helping others, volunteering, doing charity work can boost you know, your spiritual health, give you um, great peace, you know. Um, when you buy things like a house or a car, it will not increase your over overall happiness in the long run, only in the short term. But when you contribute to something outside of yourself, like the betterment of people, it'll make you realize how much fortunate you are uh, than others. And you know, a lot of research has found that we, if we dedicate a little time or money in helping others has a significant effect on our happiness next one's go outdoors now you got to do it safely but you could still go outdoors even though there's this mandate to shelter in place by the governor we in california we could still go outside to exercise we go to the grocery store you know we could do we could still do a lot of things we could you know make sure to think about all the things we can do rather than the things we can't do so that's another uh, way to positively look at things think of things you can do rather than what you can't do it's like when you know you get fired from a job you know or an opportunity closes you focus on that closed door when when it off to the side there's like three or four doors opening that you don't even notice and most people they don't notice that because they're too focused on that closed door um go outdoors the sun is amazing oh gosh i still love the sun after like a, that jail in egypt where i could barely see the sun about 30 seconds every day when i walk from the out of the bathroom oh it's so amazing i just love to lay in the sun and look at the sun feel the sun it, it's we're, i think we're sun you know we're meant to be out in the sun and yeah it makes us feel good and it's a great antidepressant meditation definitely hugely important meditation sit down you know there's so many apps so many ways to meditate you just you could do the simple four by four breath breathe in four seconds hold for four seconds Release for four seconds. Hold for four seconds. Breathe in for four seconds. Hold for four seconds. And keep doing that. Do that for, I don't know, 10 times, whatever you feel like doing. And there was this uh, researcher in Harvard who said, the wandering mind will not make us happy. Meditation helps you to concentrate and pay attention to the present and accept it without judging. It is useful in forgetting about the past and not worrying about the future. It helps you stay in the present moment. Very important. Get enough sleep. This is big. If you don't get enough sleep, uh, that's it's going to break you down if, if, if you keep not getting enough sleep over the days. I mean, even just one day really dramatically decreases uh decreases your overall health and well well-being but over the long term it could really you know cause ma- you know major consequences but um your body we recover when we sleep and especially if we have a lot of stress we need to sleep more uh, when we don't get enough sleep negativity takes over our mind your body needs to recover from the day before stress there are tons of natural remedies to help you sleep better uh, sleeping helps your mind to stay focused be productive and happier people who get enough sleep tend to feel less anger and angry and stressful and research has shown that that the hippocampus part of our brain, which processes positive and happy thoughts when we don't get enough sleep, this function starts to creak and starts developing more negative thoughts than before. That's fascinating. I did not know. Um, I, I don't know, think I've ever read this until now that sleep and happiness are directly related uh, through the hippocampus part of the brain. So that's fascinating. And 
you know, so there's people probably now pharmaceuticals and self, um, being self-medicated. People are probably drinking more, uh, more weed consumption, more, uh, sleep aid consumption, more anti-anxiolytic consumption. You know, I, I would recommend not to do any of those as much as possible. Um, it's, do you want to experience this with a clear mind without being drugged up? And I, I definitely, um, am not, I'm not fond of pharmaceuticals and being drugged up. I mean, uh, I think that's a huge thing in the United States is a lot of us are on pharmaceuticals. And yeah, I, I, I got to look up uh, the numbers for that, but definitely try to avoid that. I know someone, I was at a funeral and one of my uh, relatives was drinking beer before, uh, before my funeral when my grandfather died. And yeah, he was drinking beer and I was like, God, this is a, a tragedy. You need alcohol to get through a funeral. It's just like, man, it's definitely an addiction, and um, try to avoid, you know, or change it if you can. But if not, if if you need it, then you know, go for it. Whatever you need need to do, you need to do. But I would definitely not recommend it. And I, you know, not a doctor or a physician, and this is definitely not medical advice. I know, I know, my friend um, in the cell. The, in Egypt, a Frenchman, he was taking uh, benzodiazepines, anti-anxiolytic, and he missed a dose, and oh man, he started to uh, get really nervous and have more anxiety, and like I said, there was like this, there's a jump in anxiety or a decrease in anxiety. Uh, there's a decrease when you take an anti-anxiolytic, like Xanax, a really big decrease, and then when you stop, there's a really big increase, um, but I'd rather just be in the middle, man. The middle is a good part a good place to be when it comes to that sort of stuff. And you could you could lower it yourself through like sleeping enough, through meditating, through taking care of yourself, focusing on the positive, not worrying so much. This is how you deal with it without drugs, without alcohol, without pharmaceuticals. That's that's the best way, in my opinion, to deal with that stuff. And that's the best way to deal with with what's going on now in the pandemic. Uh, express your feelings. Definitely uh, very important. Uh, my family, we learn to suppress our feelings. Very, very not good. <laughs> and this is what got me into trouble. This is what, you know, caused a huge amount of pain early on in my life, not being able to express my feelings properly. And if there was one thing of advice that I would give my younger self, and I think I did this a couple years ago uh, on a live Facebook thing, I would tell my, I would teach my younger self to, to, um, learn to control and express my feelings uh, in a positive manner, learn how to deal with my feelings, the emotions. The emotions are definitely very, very powerful and they could either hurt you or help you. And most of the time they hurt a lot of people. And, you know, it's it's self-caused, whether it be uh, consciously or uh, subconsciously, we um, we choose how we want to feel. It's it's a choice. Uh, if, if you want to be angry, that's your choice. If, if you want to be happy, it's also your choice. If you want to be sad, sure, that's your choice as well. And, you know, you could choose how you want to be. And that's the power of our minds and our emotions and power of positivity, man, always wins. That's I love that. I love that. And that's I'd rather choose that positive and happy feelings and positive emotions. 
All right, next one is reduce your worries. Oh, man, I'm getting out of control. I'm talking, which is good. I'm talking my head off. All right, reduce your worries. Worrying habit has about anything is a powerful reason to destroy anyone's thinking. Most of the things you fear in life never happens. They're just like nightmares of your mind. It grows stronger day by day and leaves you feeling stressed. The more you worry, the more that part of your brain wires together, and the more you're just going to worry yourself to death. And I've seen that before, especially in older people who can't even leave the house so worried now they're probably just i don't know they need some severe anti-anxiolytic antidepressant medicines or something or weed marijuana lots of marijuana just but still even that i I look at that i look at that as a crutch too and even marijuana if you use it too much is definitely not good the occasional use is okay but if you're using something every day it's it's a crutch it's a crutch learn how to cope with it learn how to cope with it without drugs or alcohol or, or anything or plants or or you know um pharmaceuticals learn how to deal with life um without that stuff that you know um, accept and find solutions. Most people re- are repellent and can't accept the change in their life. They must learn to accept that change will happen. We must. We continually go through changes because that is how life is meant to be. You can experience the worst phase of your life, but you should look for the positive aspect and find a solution to your problem. When you train your brain for staying positive in all situations, even tragedy can't destroy you. Oh, I love that. If you think there are, there are a lot of problems uh, and responsibilities in your life and it's too impractical to stay positive all the time, think again. It's never too late to live a positive and happy life. And that's it, guys. Thank you for listening. Let's see what kind of outro music we got. Ah, perfect. All right. Stay safe out there. Be well. Uh, stay positive and um, things will get better. Things aren't as bad as they seem. Things are actually uh, gonna be great. They're gonna be fine. Um, but we're still, you know, still hold on, strap in your seatbelt. We still got a, a wild ride to go before we get out of this mess. And uh, but after that, there'll be uh, beautiful blue skies uh, that will pop out, you know, through this rain thunderstorm that's gonna last definitely weeks. I'll be back. Uh, I'll be back before the end of it, maybe within the week. And. Uh, Give it, give an update, and talk about you know some more ways to stay positive, active, fit, and healthy. But definitely check out all the other episodes, and if you get a chance, check out my other podcast too. If you're bored, we got tons of time. The Super Travel Experience Podcast is my other one, and I talk a lot. I I really enjoyed. Um, I don't know if I enjoyed it, but I I talked a lot about the being in Egyptian jail, and you know. That, that's kind of an interesting story too on the last the super travel experience podcast and as well on uh, the positive aspects on this podcast too about that experience so i definitely um definitely we're in the we're in amazing times and you know who would have thought that we would have been going through something like this right now it's almost uh was it truth is stranger than fiction and uh yeah hang in there everything's gonna be okay and That's it. There's a light at the end of a tunnel. Take care, guys.